Good morning. Man, I'm so glad to see y'all this morning. I'm so thankful that you have made a sacrifice to be here today, and you, you've gotten out of bed. You've done what it takes, and, and I think that's awesome, and I think God's pleased with you this morning, and I think he's got a word for you. So welcome to East LJ Baptist Church. Here in this place, we are captivated by Christ. In him we have seen and we cannot unsee the glory of God and the grace of God given through the life, the death, and the resurrection and the ongoing reign of Jesus our Lord. He has captivated us. We exist to spread our enjoyment of the beauty of Christ to the world. And it is our prayer that you will see and embrace the beauty of Christ that we enjoy and find yourself captivated by him as well. We want to send a big thank you to those of you who came out this week and cleaned up, got our kitchen back to work in order for homecoming and other things. We appreciate you, and that was headed up by Miss Pam, and we're certainly appreciative of her as well. And so let's read together in the scripture. Today our reading comes from John chapter 13, verses 3 through 16. The Bible says, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from the supper. And he laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin. He began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And verse 6 says, He came to Simon Peter, who said unto him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him and said, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said unto him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him and said, If I do not wash you, you share no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say unto you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. That's a reading from God's Word today. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, we're so thankful for your love. We're thankful for the reading of your Word today. We pray, God, that it would bless and multiply in our hearts, make us truly thankful, make us truly, uh, make, us, make our eyes open to your Word today like never before. And Heavenly Father, as we hear a word today on being a servant, God, I pray that we'd open up our hearts and that we'd truly truly have a heart for serving you in a greater way. We are thankful for our pastor. We're thankful for our Sunday school teachers. We're thankful for the band that stands here behind us today. God, as they lead us in worship, 
God, as we pray, I pray your spirit would be with us, even in this place today in a great way. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning again. Let's stand together and worship together. We're going to start off with Same Power, which is a powerful song based on Chad's favorite verse, probably. <laughs>
Y'all can be seated. And Father, truly we sing from the bottom of our hearts for all that you have done for us. We are reminded today. Father, that you gave your son. And even in that second song as we sang, is this not enough? Will this not suffice? That Jesus would lay down his life, that he would hang on that cross for us. Oh God, how we pray that we would venture on you and we would venture on you wholly with all that we are, with all of our hearts. There is nothing more pathetic than a half-hearted professing follower of Christ when we have seen in Jesus the glory of God. When we have in Him the mercy and grace and love of God forever and once and for all demonstrated and made known. When we have seen in Him the treasure above all treasures, the pleasure above all pleasures, how could we not venture Holy, give it all we've got. Lay our lives down at the feet of Christ. God, make it so. And thank you that you don't call us to do that on our own. Without or apart from your grace, but even by the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, you help us. And so, Lord, we just want to confess at the beginning of this time in your word that we are not our own. We're yours. This life is not about us, though we believe that lie so often. It is about you. Jesus, you and you alone are worthy of our praise and of the worship, the, the living sacrifice kind of worship of our lives. And so come and teach us, we pray today. Change us, we pray. Oh, God, show us how to humble ourselves down into greatness in your sight, the only eyes that matter. Spirit of God, we need you. We need you to illumine our hearts and our minds. We need you to change our hearts and transform us by your word. And so we look to you now. So we ask all this in Jesus' name. We will be dismissed to Children's Church, and as they're making their way out, uh, any Kenny Rogers fans in the house? He died two years ago, two and a half years ago, down in Sandy Springs, Georgia. He's the king of country ballads, and this is one of my favorites. Little boy in a baseball hat Stands in the field with his ball and bat Says I am the greatest player of them all Puts his bat on his shoulder and he tosses up his ball And the ball goes up and the ball comes down Swings his bat all the way around the world's so still you can hear the sound The baseball falls to the ground 
Now the little boy doesn't say a word Picks up his ball, he is undeterred Says I am the greatest there has ever been And he grits his teeth and he tries it again And the ball goes up and the ball comes down Swings his bat all the way around The world's so still you can hear the sound The baseball falls to the ground He makes no excuses, he shows no fear He just closes his eyes and listens to the cheer Little boy, he adjusts his hand Picks up his ball, stares at his bat Says I am the greatest, the game is on the line Gives us all one last time And the ball goes up like the moon so bright Swings his bat with all his might And the world's as still as still can be And the baseball falls And that's strike three Now it's supper time and his mama calls Little boy starts home With his bat and ball Says I am the greatest That is a fact But even I didn't know I could pitch like that Says I am the greatest That is understood But even I didn't know Pitch that good. Sometimes it's hard being the best, right? Even I didn't know I could pitch this good. Even from a young age, we want to be the greatest in this world, don't we? And you know, I am the greatest. That statement, it makes for a really clever and cute country ballad. The whole deal is cute. It's one of my favorite country songs, but when it, as long as it comes to a little boy in his baseball game. But when the phrase, I am the greatest, takes on a whole different look is when we keep believing that about ourselves. As we get older, moving our teenage years and right on into adulthood. In fact, I would just dare to say this this morning. I think most of us are still walking around singing this song in a self-deceived fog of arrogance, desperately wanting to be the greatest in this world, but not understanding or simply not believing and accepting what true greatness really is. This is the age-old problem of the human heart. We think this world and life itself is all about me. And you know, even those 12 men that were closest to Jesus had big-time struggles with their egos. And his word, Jesus' word, from our text this morning to them was 
very strong. Would you stand with me as we read Luke 22, verses 24 to 27. Luke 22, verses 24 to 27. As we continue our study through the Gospel of Luke, how many of you remember that Kenny Rogers song from another sermon? Yeah, two years ago we were in Luke 9, so it's taken a while to get through Luke, and we're still not done. Um, and we open with that. You'll figure that out why, why we would have done the same song again in a few minutes. Luke 22, verse 24. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority are over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I, Jesus said, but I am among you as the one who serves. You may be seated. And may God add his blessing to this, his word this morning. Jesus makes it clear in his response to his disciples' debate about who is the greatest. He makes it clear that it's not about us as he teaches us the title for this morning's sermon, True Greatness. True Greatness. And here's the take-home truth, the, the summary of this passage. What I want you to understand from the message today to be great in God's kingdom is to make myself small and choose to sacrificially serve everyone else because Jesus gave his life to save me. Because Jesus served me even to death. Three realities about true greatness uh, about greatness in general, but specifically pointing us to true greatness this morning that I want you to see from the text. Number one, in verses 24 and 25, I want you to see the demonic desire for worldly greatness. You say, now preacher, that may be a little strong. Oh, really? Well, just hang with me. Trust me. It's not too strong. The demonic desire for worldly greatness now, let's remember where we are when we pick it up in verse 24. Where are we? Does anybody remember? Where are the disciples in Jesus? They're sitting at the Last Supper table. They're in the upper room. They're there enjoying that, la that Passover feast. Uh, they have just been talking about the one that will betray Jesus. Jesus has just said, one of you will betray me. And they've all, at least apparently, responded with, is it I, Lord? Could it be me? And in this context, where he's been explaining that through his broken body and his shed blood, he, would, he was fixing to introduce and bring into, into reality the new covenant of grace and salvation as the Messiah of Israel, in the middle of that holy moment, that moment that's pointing to the cross, that moment that is sober in the sense that he's looked at them and said, one of you is going to be the reason I die on the human level. And in the middle of that, verse 24 says, uh, rather matter-of-factly, 
A dispute also rose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. You've got to be kidding me. That was my first reaction when I read that. But isn't it just like us? See, some of us will be arguing about who's the greatest in our hearts or with each other before we ever make it to the parking lot this afternoon. (laughs) That's the way we are, right? And Jesus said to them, his response to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. You know what? Can I just paraphrase that for you? Jesus looks at these 12 disciples in the middle of this holy moment where they're nothing but wrapped up in themselves, and he said, y'all are still acting like pagans and not my followers. Like, I'm, I'm going to be dying on the cross within 24 hours. And y'all are still acting just like pagans act. This is what pagans do. This is what people outside of the kingdom of God do. They argue about who's the greatest. But what's really bad is this ain't the first time. In fact, it's the third time that these boys have had the same talk with one another, the same argument. Luke 9, verses 46 and 47, that's where we were in, I think, about October of 2020 when, you first, when I first shared that little video. Luke 9, 46 and 47 is the first time. We're not going to read it, but it wasn't long after Jesus had empowered them, you'll remember, to go out and into the villages and preach the gospel and heal people and cast out demons. But it was also, ironically, right after Peter, James, and John had seen the, the greatest, Jesus himself, transfigured and there on the mountain, and then heard the Father say out loud, audibly, into time and space, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. Can I paraphrase that for you? It was God's way of saying, he is the greatest. Listen to him. And right after that, they argue about who's number one of the twelve. Matthew 20, verses 20 to 28, records a second time. And this is when, you'll remember, James and John's mama comes to Jesus because she wants her boy. One of them, anyway. Actually, both of them. She wants one of them to be number one, and, and she'll, you know, she'll negotiate that. And the other one to be number two. Oh, which, of course, started an argument amongst all 12 of them because the other 10 are like, well, wait, wait a minute. I mean, what makes your boys the top two? How about me? And they argue again. The demonic desire for worldly greatness. So I still don't see where you get this demonic part. Well, I was hoping you would ask and want me to show you from the Word of God where that comes from. So James, in James 3, tells us in no uncertain terms the source of our selfish and stubborn desire for greatness in this world. James 3, verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, that is from God, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, 
There will be disorder and every vile practice. You see, the desire for greatness in the eyes of men is driven by selfish ambition. That fuels jealousy. And this desire, James says, is earthly. It's unspiritual. Listen to me. No matter how we disguise the thing. No matter what we wrap it in religiously to make it look spiritual, it's not. It's plain and simple, unspiritual. And further, and most shockingly, it is demonic. In the moment that a a professing follower of Jesus is full of jealousy and selfish ambition, wanting to be the greatest in the world's terms, hear me what is happening. It's the same thing that was happening Almost with Peter and Jesus that time when Jesus had that, that, that brother Trey preached on, when Jesus had to look at Peter and say, Get behind me, Satan, because Peter was at that moment embodying satanic thinking. As Jesus went on to explain when he said, you got, You're thinking like man, not like God, same thing's true. No matter how we may deceive ourselves to think otherwise, it is this desire. Teenagers, are you listening to me? And mama and daddy, are you listening to me? It is this desire that drives the incessant obsession with social media today. Not just in our kids' and teenagers' lives, but us as adults as well. You see Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, TikTok, and whatever apps, teenagers, that I don't know about yet that have come out that your mama hadn't figured out out there yet are tailor-made to feed our demonic desire for worldly greatness and our natural narcissism. That's what they are all about. Now, I'm on Instagram. I'm no longer on Facebook. I'm on Twitter I'm not saying that you can't have any social media, that there's not a right use of of social media. But but what I am telling you is this this is the life. This This is the fuel for the fire of so much of our narcissism as even professing Christ followers. And if it's bad for us as adults, and by the way, Mom, by the way, Dad, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, it is. It is for you. You're not off the hook. It is for me if I let it be. But if it's bad for us, let me just tell you about how bad it is for your kids. It says the world is about me. And I need to be somebody different than I am. I'm not good enough for, compared to everybody out there. By the way, it's all fake because it's on social media. It's cropped and made to look as good as it can be. It's a lie. But understand what drives it is this selfish ambition, this this desire to be the greatest. And it's a demonic desire for worldly greatness. You know, that's why Paul exhorts us in Philippians 2, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, and this begins to move us toward true greatness, which is away from me and more about him and about you in my life, right? And so just first of all, we've seen the demonic desire for 
worldly greatness. And, and so the lesson here is this. Every single day, hear me. Every single day, I must repent of that demonic desire for worldly greatness. It will hit me every single day. And it hits you every single day. It is not okay. It is a demonic desire designed by the enemy and working with our sinful nature and our ego to take glory away from the only one who deserves it, from the one and only greatest in the universe, Jesus himself. Number two, notice Jesus' definition of true greatness. We've seen the demonic desire for worldly greatness, but here Jesus' definition of true greatness. Can I tell you before I read verses 26 and 27 that whatever Jesus says about, says true greatness is, is indeed irrefutably defining what true greatness is, is in fact? Does that make sense? What Jesus said is true, says is true greatness, guess what? That's what true greatness is. You don't get to argue with him. Because you're not the son of God. I may be a son of God, but I'm not the son of God. He was God incarnate. He, 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 he created the worlds. He gets to define true greatness. And here's what he says in verse 26, but not so with you. He's, he just told him, remember, you guys are acting like pagans. It's arguing about who's greatest in this world. You're, acting, you're still acting like pagans, but not so with you, verse 26. Rather, there's another way in the kingdom of God. If you're going to follow me, Jesus said, there's another way. Let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves for. Who is greater? One who reclines at table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. Jesus said, look, I am the one who should be served by all of you. I'm God incarnate. I'm the Messiah of Israel. I'm the Son of God in the flesh right here with you. And yet I've come as we'll see in just a minute, as the one who serves. As the one who serves. You see, the definition of true greatness is that the greatest becomes the least. The one who is number one serves everybody else. Puts himself low to raise others up in service. And so Jesus gives us the definition of true greatness. Ours is now to believe and accept Jesus' definition of true greatness. Will we? Will we? You see, to be great in God's kingdom is to make myself small and choose to sacrificially serve everyone. Which brings us to the third point, and that is this. Jesus' divine demonstrations of true greatness. He didn't just tell us what it is. He showed us what it looks like. There's two different d demonstrations given by Jesus of true greatness that I want you to look at this morning. The first is from the passage that Trey read at the beginning of the service. The first divine demonstration Jesus gives of true greatness happened again in the moment we find the disciples and Jesus there around the Lord's table 
Jesus washed his disciples' feet. We read it again from John chapter 13, verse 3. Jesus, as he sits there at the table with the disciples, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Can, can I just pause right there, and, and I want to I point out something very important about authority. Verse 3 is essentially Jesus' recognition that all of the authority of God himself had been given to him. How much authority does God himself have? This is not a trick question. All authority. There ain't none he don't got. He's God. And Jesus said, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, that is, after his death on the cross and resurrection, what does he do with his authority? Leaders on every level hear these words. Let me take something. There is no more important leadership lesson that you can find. There's no book you can read that will give it to you any better than this right here. What does he do with his authority? He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Man, that's not what we expect. That's not what today's leadership's book, books say next, is it? We would expect the one who had been given the universe's authority to pontificate on the authority of God and, and, and on the greatness of who he was. And what that meant for all these underlings now under his power. Right? And yet Jesus kneels down with a towel in a basin and begins to wash his disciples' feet. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not now understand. But after you'll understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Typical Peter. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and head. Again, typical Peter fashion. Let's be dramatic. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. Listen to this. And you are clean, but not every one of you. What's that talking about? I mean, better question. Who's that talking about? Judas. Remember that for a second. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he would washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet... You also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. You see, if we profess to follow Jesus, then we're not greater than Jesus. And Jesus said, I washed your feet. Go wash others' feet. Go wash each other's 
feet. And isn't it beautiful? Remember Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. Jesus takes the authority of the universe given by God the Father, and he uses that authority to take up a basin and towel and serve others. And in so doing, hear me, he reveals the beauty of the heart of our God. The God who made it all, the God who sustains it, who sustains it all, the God who will in righteousness and holiness judge the earth one day, that same God sent a Savior, his name is Jesus. Because he has the heart of a servant. And though he has all power, he served us by sending his son to live a perfect life in our place, go to the cross and there die the, sin, the death we deserve because of our sin. And on the third day to rise in victory, to give us power over sin in this life and certainty of his presence forever in heaven. That's the heart of our God. What a good, good father he is. Jesus demonstrates true greatness. You know, as we think about trying to imitate Jesus, it's, it's not enough to say that we want to have a servant's heart. That's a sweet saying, isn't it? You hear that a lot around the church, don't you? You know, we just need to have a servant's heart. I just want to have a servant's heart. But see, it's not enough to say we want to have a servant's heart. That heart, you understand, according to Jesus, motivates servant behavior. So like if we talk about wanting to be servants, then we got to act like servants. Do servant stuff. Yeah, that one's hard to amen, isn't it? See, that servant's heart motivates servant behavior if it's real. And very simply put, if we're not willing to embody servant behavior and do menial tasks and the unglamorous work no one wants to do, then let's just quit fooling ourselves. We're not, we're not Christ-honoring leaders or even servants of any kind. We're just worldly. We're just like little kids walking around, looking at each other, smiling at church, saying, I'm the greatest. <laughs> that is a fact. Jesus washed his disciples, here, listen, including Peter's, who would deny him three times, and Judas's feet, who would betray him into the hands of those who would kill him. Whole another level of enemy love, right? Whose feet? Would you not be willing to wash? You see, your answer to that question is a definition of the limitation of your understanding of the grace of God to you. Because you choose to limit that grace to someone else. But then, not only did Jesus demonstrate so beautifully in the washing of the disciples' feet true greatness, but then the second thing he did, Jesus died for the sins of the world. Just in less than 24 hours, he'd be hanging on a cross for you. He'd be hanging on a cross for me. His body ripped to shreds, literally his back just absolutely mutilated. Ribs exposed. Flesh most of it all gone. 
the muscles of the back shredded, hanging there with a crown on his head. And we see that in Luke 23, verse 32, where it says, Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. Will you just stop and think about the worst picture of the crucifixion that you've ever seen? Maybe it was through the movie The Passion of the Christ. By the way, I would highly recommend that for families. Yes, for families. We don't get crucifixion. We've cleaned it up into Sunday school drawings. Would you just for a moment think about that picture? See that mutilated body of Christ when you read these words that there they crucified him? Because when we glibly almost use the phrase Jesus died for us and the sins of the world. We, it rolls off the tongue so often and so easily. That's what it means. They crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they... Check this out. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Verse 44 of Luke 23 says, It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, so from about noon to about 3 p.m. While the sun's light failed, is it usually dark at 3 p.m.? No. But the Son of God was dying, and the cosmos reacted. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. John 19, verse 30. John's record of the same event. At the very end it says, When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. You see, Jesus not only defined in words, but demonstrated with his very life, the heart of true greatness self-sacrificing, literally, service for the eternal good and salvation of a world of sinners. But it was the path. It was the posture that he willingly chose. Make no mistake, John 10, verse 17, Jesus speaking says, For this reason, the Father loves me. Why? Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. What's so amazing about the crucifixion is while there is guilt, there's certainly guilt on a human level for those who put him on the cross, Jesus gave his life. We sang the song, he could have called 10,000 angels, and he could have but he chose to show us true greatness by laying down his life in our place, dying the death I deserve, the death you deserve for our sins. He chose willingly this path. You see, to be great in God's kingdom is to make myself small and choose to sacrificially serve everyone because that's what Jesus did for me. 
because Jesus gave his life to save me. Will we choose to believe and accept Jesus' definition of true greatness and imitate his demonstration of true greatness, demonstrations of true greatness, through practical choices that require our humility so that Jesus is exalted? Will we? Here's the good news. We sang about it. First song we sang today. We have the spirit of Christ himself. The Jesus we've been talking about, he lives in us. And we have the spirit of Christ himself indwelling us so that he can indeed empower the humility and self-sacrificing love that motivates service that he calls us to. You can live in true greatness as defined by Jesus. You can be great in the kingdom by becoming the least here on earth and, and serving. You know, John the Baptist gave us the goal of our lives as, as Christ followers in John 3, verse 30. John the Baptist said, He, speaking of Jesus, He must increase, but I must decrease. That's the goal of our lives if we're Christ followers. It is not about me. It's not about you. Do we believe that John got it right? In Mark 10, verses 43 to 45, as we close, Jesus said it this way. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. That's true greatness. To be great in God's kingdom is to make myself small and choose to sacrificially serve everyone. Because Jesus gave his life to save me. Can I ask you to think about how this needs to be applied in your life? You see, it, it, it's no good. James says, be doers of the word and not what only? Hearers. So here's the deal. If nothing changes from this message, then... It would be as ludicrous for you and me to, remember when you were a teenager? Remember zits? Been a while since I've had one, but I used to get them right here. And it would always happen overnight. When I had no time to get it fixed before I had to go to school and see that girl, right? James says, when you hear the word and you don't do it, it'd be as ludicrous as a teenage boy our teenage girl going to the mirror, seeing a mega zit. I'm talking one, the big ones, you know, quarter inch out, white, yellowish color. Looking at it in the mirror and saying, wow, that's nasty. And just walking away. Going to school like nothing was there, like there's no problem. Here's what I'm pretty sure about this morning. This word's been a mirror for my heart. 
This word's been a mirror for your heart. And you know what the mirror's showing you. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's in relation to your kids. Maybe it's a relationship at work. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it has to do with your position in place of service, maybe even leadership in the church of Jesus Christ. Maybe whatever it is, right now you know, see, the Spirit of God doesn't need me to line it out for you. He's done that right now in this moment in your heart, if you're His. Don't look in the mirror and walk away. Let the Spirit of the living God, let the Word of God cleanse it. Change it. You see, in that relationship where you've been just worldly, I mean, is it okay, can we just talk about it? demonic acting in the how and how you act about and relate to people think about yourself and relate to others you don't have to live that way anymore you can show people jesus in that relationship you can change and you can get low you can you can you can take off your outer garments and put on a towel and get a basin of water and start washing feet and if the whole world says you're an idiot and they will if the whole office thinks you're crazy, and they will, here's what you can know without any doubt. Jesus says, now that one, that one understands me. That's true greatness. Let's pray. Father, may we not settle for just being great in this world that is going to pass away, that is run by Satan ultimately. And may, may we as your people especially not be deceived. And think it's okay just not to really get it right on this. We can't do it by ourselves. Oh, how we need your grace. We are so proud and arrogant and cocky. Lord, we need the humbling power, the servant heart that only you can give us by your spirit and through just a regular meditation on the cross so God come and change us and that would be known as a church for being servants Lord if we all lived out these, this message today God our, 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 our Gilmer County would be turned on its head by the love of Christ. We would shine so bright. Jesus would be seen in a way that we only dream about. And God, it's not impossible. It's not just a dream. It is to be our lives. Help us. Change me. God, how I pray you make me a servant. Give us a heart to pursue true greatness and empower us to live like Jesus lived. For you alone are worthy. God, I pray today for any in the room who have yet to come to know Jesus as their Savior. Lord, entering the kingdom, Jesus said in another place that entering the kingdom requires becoming like a child. Entering the kingdom requires the same humility that we're talking about that's required to serve and follow Jesus in the kingdom. Lord, to get in, to, to become a child of the living God requires admitting that we're sinners in need of a Savior. 
confessing our sin, that God is holy, we are not, and we are hopeless without Jesus' intervention on our behalf through his life, death, and resurrection, and then, Lord, believing that he did it for us. Trusting him and confessing to the world that we, can, we acknowledge only Christ is our righteousness, only Christ is our redemption, only Jesus paid it all, Apart from him, there is no hope. He is the only way, the only truth, the only life eternal. May it be so in someone's heart today, even as we sing. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. This altar's open for you to respond however you need to today. If you need to enter the kingdom today, all you got to do is come like a child. Believe what Jesus tells you. Take the gift that he gives even through his life, death, and resurrection. Just trust him today. Even as we sing.
God's people said? Amen and amen. You may be seated for just a moment. So this afternoon at 2.30 at 1047 Legion Road, we're going to be having river baptism again. Trey will be, Pastor Trey will be uh, baptizing Cameron Baxter, Adley Sutton, Hattie Dover, and Helena Garland. And so we praise the Lord and rejoice with the angels of heaven in the salvation of these young ladies and look forward to that good time together this afternoon at 2.30. Tonight at 6 p.m., we will have our crowd to Jesus prayer service here. Join us for a time of prayer uh, for our world, for the nations, for your neighbors, uh, for those among us who uh, are sick, for our own nation. I think this morning of um, folks in Kentucky, also folks surrounding the situation in Cincinnati today. Um, so we'll be praying for all these things tonight at 6 o'clock. On Tuesday evening at 6 o'clock, Missions Committee will be having a meeting. And so this Tuesday, 6 p.m., leadership deacons meeting this Wednesday at 7.40, immediately after Wednesday evening uh, activities. Next Sunday is homecoming. We will be celebrating our 129th uh, anniversary as a church. And before then, we're going to be needing some help. So this Saturday, we'll put out a time soon. We're going to need some setup help. We want to get things set up on Saturday, so we're ready for Sunday. So stay loose in your schedule on Saturday if you can, so you can help us out. We'll let you know a time. Sunday, uh, Sunday morning, um, about 11.30, Miss Pam uh, is going to need some help getting the food out and ready, and then we'll enjoy a meal together. So the way, uh, our Sunday, that, the way home, homecoming Sunday will go is it'll begin at 10 o'clock with a memorial service uh, at our cemetery. Um, and so some of, the, some of us will join ourselves together there and um, just praise the Lord for his faithfulness and, and uh, generations that have um, laid the foundation and on whose shoulders we stand today in the faith. Um, there will be Sunday school here, and so there will be Sunday school in the building. Um, if you need to check out of your class, when you get somebody to teach your class, whatever you need to do, there will be Sunday school here. David Aiken will also be here next Sunday, be leading us in a time of um, musical worship and, and uh, just um, a great time of um, worship together with David Aiken next Sunday uh, before we share in the Word together and then enjoy potluck dinner on the grounds after church. The church will provide the meat. If you'll bring a side and dessert, emphasis on dessert, um, we'd rather have more dessert than vegetables. Amen. It's a party, so let's do it right. 